We have a number of announcements this weekend. The Solemnity of the Assumption of Mary is this week, and it is a holy day of obligation for all Catholics. Uh, there will be a vigil mass in Spanish this Monday at 6.30 p.m., and then on August 15th itself, there will be two masses in English at 12 noon and at 6.30 p.m., all of those masses here in the main church. As always, with a special schedule, we need to fill volunteer spots, and I ask you to help me do that today, to fill those spots for those masses, uh, since those masses are coming up quickly at the start of this week. You can go online to signupgenius.com to volunteer as altar boys, lectors, and ushers. You can also sign up in the ministry sign-in area out in the narthex. Please help us fill those spots today. Next Sunday, after the 10 a.m. Mass, we will have a reception in the parish hall to honor the two seminarians from our parish before they leave for the school year. Now, this is a great opportunity to meet our seminarians, to introduce yourselves, and to get to know them. So I do hope that you will come to visit and to show your support for priestly vocations from our parish. Uh, certainly our prayers are the most important support uh, that we offer these men. But in addition, many of you have asked me about other support. So if you're inclined to bring a card with a gift, you can certainly do that and give those directly to Stephen and to Jacob at the reception. That's next Sunday after the 10 a.m. Mass. Please join, plan on joining us. Uh, to support our seminarians. St. Monica Parish Festival is on August 26th after the Saturday evening mass. Everyone's invited to attend and we hope that you'll come uh, for fellowship and fun. We'll have a cornhole tournament, a petting zoo, music, food, and much more. Everyone is asked to please bring a dessert to share. Volunteers are also needed both for the setup before the festival as well as cleanup after the festival ends. The link to sign up for the festival and to order this year's festival t-shirt can be found in an email that was already sent to all parishioners. Uh, you can also find the links in our weekly bulletin online at the St. Monica website and on our parish social media pages. The parish is looking to hire a part-time position on staff to assist with facilities and maintenance. Interested applicants should contact me immediately. Candidates need to be skilled at being a handyman or jack-of-all-trades type of person. The Search is an innovative video series that addresses the key questions of every human heart. The series is for those planning to participate in RCIA this year and others who just want to explore questions about our existence, our purpose in this life, and our faith. The Search Discussion Group meets in the San Ambrose Center every Sunday morning from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. through August 27th. Please call Deacon Pereira in the parish office for more information. And then finally, on Sunday, September 10th, adult formation classes will begin. RCIA is for those interested in becoming Catholic or simply to learn more about Catholicism. And classes will also begin for adult Catholics who were not confirmed in childhood. And I want to make a particular push and give attention to that. If you are a Catholic who was never confirmed earlier in life, uh, it's certainly time to take steps to address that, to receive the grace of that sacrament uh, by which uh, you are fully initiated into the life of the church and more closely conformed to the mission of the Lord to be a disciple in this world. So if you missed confirmation earlier in life, uh, please make plans to participate in this opportunity as an adult to receive confirmation. To learn more about attending RCIA or adult confirmation classes, please call the parish office this week and ask for Deacon Pereira.
Today's first reading and today's gospel selection give us examples of theophanies. Theophany is a word that simply refers to a manifestation of God, an event by which God reveals himself. In fact, we could say theophany has been a bit of a theme lately, since last weekend's observance of the Transfiguration is also a very good example of a theophany, the appearance of Jesus changed to show forth his glory as God. In a theophany, we have a manifestation of God's presence and power in a sense-perceptible manner. Theophanies in the Old Testament are accompanied by the typical sense-perceptible manifestations of things like wind, earthquake, and fire. God revealing himself to Moses on Mount Sinai is a standard example of this. For when God comes to the mountaintop, there is fire that surrounds the mountain, there is the wind that moves the smoke upward in a column, and the earth trembles. Elijah, in the first reading, experienced a theophany when the Lord God decided to pass by him. And as we heard in that first reading, those typical signs accompanied the event in the crushing wind, the earthquake, and the fire. A unique contribution to this particular theophany is that the manifestation of God to Elijah is such that those typical signs of wind, earthquake, and fire are in this instance simply precursors to silence. The tiny whispering sound that mysteriously communicated the grandeur and the majesty of God. The gospel likewise presents us with a manifestation of God. Keeping in mind the context of the passage can help us see this theophany. After the miraculous feeding of the 5,000, the gospel tells us the disciples are in a boat preceding the Lord across the Sea of Galilee. That sea was was a familiar place to the apostles, a place many of them often fished. And it's a large lake, about 13 miles long and 8 miles wide at its widest. The passage tells us that the disciples were already a few miles into their journey offshore. They were in a terrible storm, and it was the fourth watch of the night, meaning it was between 3 and 6 a.m. in the morning. This was a time on the water familiar to the disciples, after all, because it was a common time to go fishing. And with all this in mind, we are obviously to understand that it was very dark out, and on the water, the storm made it a very dangerous place to be. It is in this context that Jesus comes walking on the water toward them. When the disciples are afraid and think they are seeing a ghost, we get more evidence of this theophany, that Jesus is showing himself to be God. Jesus responds to the disciples, Take courage, it is I. I'm going to stop there with that that phrase of Jesus, it is I. That's a fine translation of the Greek text of St. Matthew's account of this event. It is an acceptable translation to suggest that Jesus is identifying himself. It is I. However, I suggest we get more depth of understanding when we know that the Greek text can also accurately be translated as, take heart, I am. The I am 
or it is I, as we heard in the English translation, gives us a rich connection to other theophanies and that revelation to Moses from the burning bush of the name of God. I am who am. In response to those who would dismiss this miracle as maybe somehow an obstacle illusion, as if Jesus was really walking on the shore or maybe on a shallow sandbar and the disciples just misunderstood, we can note Jesus' use of I am, the name of God, to reveal himself precisely while walking on a stormy sea in a place where his disciples are, are already several miles offshore, in a place where when he doubts, Peter begins to sink down under the surface. Is that use of I am significant? You bet. And if there's any doubt, please see that the Lord uses it to reveal himself while breaking the laws of nature as he walks on water. And furthermore, the disciples truly get the theophany by the end because they say, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, it doesn't require much imagination to place ourselves into the lesson of this theophany of God showing himself in the midst of a storm that tosses us about. It doesn't take much imagination to come up with a whole host of examples of things in life we might call storms. Our own character defects and weaknesses can be like storms. We may feel overwhelmed by the setbacks we experience in our humanity. Perhaps we face times of particularly strong temptation, and it feels like drowning in sin. We know the areas of our life where we are less than the disciples that we, are sh that we should be. And we don't always find, however, the energy and the resolve to take new steps to, to breaking bad patterns and growing in virtue. A storm may come from a bad decision we make with consequences that we can't undo no matter how much we might regret them and want to go back in time. Someone else's sin may be a storm that impacts us or makes of us a victim. Times of grave social evil overwhelm us and sort of suffocate us in their atmosphere like a storm. Our storms may be worries we have for a friend, a loved one, a child. Storms may come from illness and loss where we are rocked by suffering and even death. And we also can't ignore that any time we have a boat in Scripture, we have a common image for the church. Various times in history show the boat, the bark of St. Peter, as it's called, that is the church, tossed about by waves and storms, both internal and external. History gives us ample evidence of leaders from popes, bishops, and on down whose immoral lives promote scandal and whose teaching fails to address the danger of heresy. At other times, the boat of the church seems to suffer not so much from active threats, perhaps, but from weakness and lack of courage as if she's just adrift with no one's hand on the rudder. With all these storms that come upon us, our violent reaction to storms in life can reveal to us our tendency to believe a false idea that somehow life is supposed to be easy. We don't have that promise, especially not in a fallen world. 
Remember one of our most basic foundational beliefs and teachings, right? Original sin. That we have a fallen nature and the world bears the marks of that. If we integrate that theology and that belief, we know there is no guarantee things will be, un- will be easy. But in our tendencies to forget those things, we can uncritically adopt the notion that maybe we'll have a utopia in this life or that the march of history and progress means things are better simply because they are modern and so our time must surely be the best. That's pure insanity. If you need just one example, take a look around and see how everyone's face is in a screen while they starve for real and meaningful human relationships that always elude them on that misnomered sphere of social media. Modernity always equals being better, not at all. And maybe one of the most fearful lessons of this passage, I almost hesitate to bring it up, is that sometimes perhaps The Lord may call us, like he did with Peter on the water, to come into the storm. To get out of the boat, comparatively a safer place than being in the water, right? And to come into it with him. Yes, there are hosts of storms in life from all manner of directions. And sometimes, too, from the places we think least likely to be stormy. But at the same time, there is Jesus in the midst of them, and he's there to reveal himself. Therefore, we are called to avoid being people of doubt and little faith. We are called to avoid being people of distraction who are primarily known for focusing on the waves while taking our attention and our gaze, our eyes off the Lord. In the passage, the disciples recognize Jesus as God because he is doing the things that God does in their Jewish scriptures. He treads upon the waves of the sea. He stills the storms. He reaches out to save his people. Yes, we do and we will face storms in life. But the Lord Jesus is not a ghost for us either. He is very much real, very much God, very much the one we need to call out to at the same time as we ignore the raging, windy voices of life's storm. 